before we go to the Word today, I, I, I don't know if I've ever remembered doing this, um, but I need us to do something this morning before we get to the place where we're starting to receive the Word. Wasn't it great to be able to fellowship this morning and, and worship God and just focus on Him? without any fear, without any concern of danger. You know, that's a blessing that we have in this country. You may say, well, there's danger. Relative. But my wife and I were reading a, uh, a post by Rabbi Stewart who is currently in Israel. And if you don't know, there's a war going on. Over 2,000 rockets were shot into the Jewish population. There are hundreds of people that have died multiplied times over people that have been injured and wounded. And one of the things that's going on is that the terrorists are capturing and kidnapping soldiers, men, women, and children. What they're going to do, I can't even imagine. But we need to be praying. See, we wake up in this country, and it's, it's, it's not our fault because we don't know anything else, but we wake up in this country with just multitudes of blessings that we take for granted because it's all we've ever known. But it's not that way around the world. And in the freedom and in the liberty and in the environment that we have in this country, we have a responsibility. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. We have a responsibility in the freedom we have to pray for those that are having real persecution, real challenges. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to minimize the challenges we have here, but I'm not concerned about a rocket falling here today. I'm not concerned about driving home and being shot at. Now, I know in some cities and places that's true, but it's not for, for me here. And so I have a responsibility to pray for those that are in situations like that. We have responsibilities for that because we can become so myopic, so focused on our own little world and the challenges that we have, and they become so big because we pulled them so close. And it's time to push back. Push back on those things and say, all right, you know what? God's bigger than that. And I'm going to stand up not for what I need. I'm going to stand up for what somebody else needs. Because that's a form of sowing. You can't pray all the prayers you need answered. You can pray some of them. But if you'll begin to pray for other people, God will multiply that back towards you and have people praying for you. So right now, we're going to pray for Israel. We're going to pray for Rabbi Stuart and Chantal, uh, for the Jewish nation. 
The Bible says, the only place the Bible says pray for peace is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And you know why the Bible doesn't tell us to pray for peace for everywhere else? Because if we'll just come to Jesus and let the Prince of Peace rule in our lives, the peace will be there no matter what the environment holds. Peace and joy are part of what the Holy Ghost brings. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you right now for your presence with your nation of Israel. Father, we thank you for your protection. We thank you, Father, for, for providing for them. Lord, you have done it before and you will do it again. They have been outnumbered and overwhelmed by adversaries and enemies, and you have brought them through. And Father, we pray for, for the, the Jewish nation to look to the Messiah, Yeshua, and trust in him. But Father, for those that already do, we thank you for the peace that they have, knowing that you are there with them and you are there for them. Father, we, we, we pray for your supernatural intervention, protection, peace and provision for each and every one. As they look to you, as they... they voice their prayers to you, supplications with thanksgiving, making their requests known to you, and your peace that passes all understanding will guard their hearts and their minds. But Father, show forth your glory. Show forth your presence. Show forth your power. And Lord, if there's more for us to do than what we're doing in this moment, praying at other times, supporting in other ways, Father, help us to become aware and help us, help us, help us, God, to be courageous and obedient. Help us not fall prey to lukewarmness where we just consider how good we have it and are considering our brothers and sisters all over the earth that are truly fighting the good fight of faith, whose lives are on the line. And Father, forgive us for our complaining. Help us to be grateful, thankful, and appreciative for all the many blessings you have brought to our lives and will bring to our lives. That, Father, in, in blessing us, we can be a blessing to others. And in this freedom we have, help us to be a blessing in prayer to the people around the world. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... So like I said, I hope that this isn't a one-off where we just pray in this moment that we'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to remind us, whether it's Israel or whether it's a neighbor or whether it's a family member or whoever it is, you know, we, we need to really be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, just like we sang. And it's not just about being in this place. God, God, God wants us sensitive here aware of Holy Spirit here, but he also wants us to be very aware of him wherever we are because you're on a mission. You are on a mission. Every one of us that are, are his children and part of his kingdom, we're here, we're not home, we're here on a mission to fulfill what God has in the world that he loves. 
God doesn't hate the world. God hates what's going on in the world, but God loves every person in the world. And there are people that need to know he loves them. You know, unfortunately, we as Christians oftentimes are, are so quick to present God in a light of, you know what, he hates you. He hates that, and he, that means he hates you. You know, we've seen it on TV with people, and we need to understand that that's a misrepresentation of God. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God loved us. Jesus died for us. Thank God he did not come to judge us and condemn the world. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we're here to bring salvation through Jesus Christ to the world that God so loves. Amen? Oh, I don't even know where to go from there. So I guess if I don't know, I'll have to go where God had given me direction to before I knew all this was going to happen. But this morning, we're going to continue to learn about God's kingdom. Because as much as we're in this world, we are not of the kingdom of this world. That's where we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be concerned. We don't have to be stressed out, overwhelmed, and have panic attacks about what's going on because we're part of a kingdom that is, number one, eternal. Number two, it is more powerful than any of the kingdoms of this world. Yes, the Bible tells us he gives us an unshakable kingdom. That ought to tell us it's very different than what we see and we're exposed to every day. And yet it's ours more than the stuff around us. And the reason why we start shaking is because we're so much more aware of the stuff around us than the one who is with us and the kingdom that we're a part of. And we've been learning about this, and, and we're going to jump back into Matthew chapter 13 in the New Testament. Uh, that's where all the kingdom references are, to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And in the book of Matthew, it has more references to the kingdom than any, any and all of the other books. And in the book of Matthew, Chapter 13 has more references to the kingdom than any other chapter, and that's why we started in on this chapter, to learn about the kingdom of God. And we learned and found out that Jesus was, was sitting by the seaside. He had gone through some challenging times, and how many know when you go through some challenging times, sometimes you just need to be alone? Yes. Not to be alone to be alone. I want to be alone. No, it's, it's to be alone with God. You know, we just don't move away from everybody else. I got to get away. Got to run away. If you're not running to God, you're running in the wrong way. Because the only one that can help you in everything, everywhere, all the time, is God. It's not you. It's not me, it's not somebody else, it's God. And that's why he made himself available to us. Through the Spirit of God, we have constant communion, constant contact with God. Nothing, 
the Bible tells us, can separate us from the love of God in Christ. But if the enemy can get us to think, you know, God doesn't care, that's why this is going on. If he tells you that, what's the first thing you know about the enemy? Thank you. He's a liar. If he tells you that God doesn't care, you know that's a lie. So if that's a lie, what's true? God does care. And he's there. And it's up to us. Are we going to turn to him, trust in him, and allow him to have a place working in our lives? Not what he did last week or last month, but what he can and wants to do today. Because he's an ever-present help in time of need. But oftentimes we're, I don't know why we do this, but we try and do the best we can, and when it doesn't work out, then we run to God. Instead of running to God, no, he can do better than our best. And, but it doesn't always look that way, does it? It doesn't always feel like it's the best the way it starts out or what he's asking or showing us to do. Sometimes it's like, are you serious, God? You can't be serious telling me to do that. All we have to do is look to our Savior. Isn't that what he kind of went through in the garden? God, I, I don't want to go through this. If there's another way, let it, let it happen another way. But the one thing we know about Jesus is he had made a decision before he ever did anything that he came to do the will of his Father. If you haven't made that decision, you need to settle it. Because if you don't settle it before you have to make a decision, you're going to have all sorts of other choices. And any other choice than having God's will in our life is not going to work out. They're all roads to disaster. And the only road to life is God's. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the I am the So he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he doesn't lie. So whatever is out there telling you it's another way is not. It's another truth. It's not. It's another life. It's not. It's him. And the Bible says in him we move and live and have our being. But we've got to grow in that to the place where we're doing that. We really are living and moving and having our being in him. Where everything we do is what pleases the Father. Everything we do is the will of the Father. Well, how do we know? Because we know what the Word says, because His Word is His will. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was experiencing some challenges, and, and so he went out, and he sat by the sea, and this multitude came to him, and, and they kept crowding him. And he had nowhere else to go except into the ocean, so he stepped into a boat, and he began to teach. And we found out last week, how did he teach the people? Parables. Anybody remember what parable means? It, it means to place alongside, to compare, all right? So it's a, 
a very, very simple, relatable story with a heavenly point. There was a point that, that Jesus was always making in the parables, revealing things of heaven, of the kingdom, in a way that they could understand because of their natural experience. It was like it, but not completely. And the disciples came to him and asked, why, why do you teach in parables? Well, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Because they didn't understand some of them. Jesus had to explain some of the parables to them. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, there are seven parables Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he teaches four of them, and then he dismisses the multitude. And then he teaches three more only to the disciples. But they wanted to know, why do you teach in parables? We're having trouble. They're having trouble. Why, 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 why parables? And Jesus tells them. And if you've read this chapter, and I'm not going to ask who's read it, but I will tell you that it's really important when we're studying things out for you to get in there and dig out stuff for yourself. Become familiar with the portions of Scripture. And if you've not read chapter 13 of Matthew, I am asking you, because I can't tell you to do anything, because you'll do whatever you want anyways. But I'm asking you to read through, start in chapter 12, and read through chapter 13 and see what, what's all being taught. Because I don't have the time and I'm not being directed to go through all the parables. But you ought to see what he's teaching to the multitude. And then we're going to look at what he's teaching to the disciples. But in verse, verse 11 of chapter 13, in the Amplified Translation, this is what he says when they ask him, why, why do you teach in parables? He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Does that cause anybody just a little prickliness? Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, I don't want them to know. Now let me ask you this. Does that make sense in what we know about God. God so loved who? That he gave what? His son. So that they wouldn't perish, they'd have everlasting life if they came to faith in Christ. And so he's not for this group and against this group. But it looks like that. And that's where we've got to study. We can't just take things at face value. The Bible is the book that you, as a child of the king, a member of the kingdom of God, a part of the body of Christ, you have been mandated to study. It's not just up to me. And even when I study what I share or anybody teaching you, it's important for you to go back and go over it to make sure what's being taught is being taught in context, so it's not a pretext. But he's saying right here that parables in their very nature 
reveal and conceal. Now, if Jesus were teaching you a parable, would you want it to be revealed or concealed? Revealed. And guess what? You, each one of you individually, makes the choice whether it's going to be revelation or it's going to be concealed to you. Because it's all about you. It's very much like the sun. Not the S-O-N, the S-U-N. When the sun comes up, it has different effects on different things. But the sun's the same. What does sun do to snow? Exactly. You know that. We pray for that. Right? <laughs> More sun, Lord. But what does sun do to clay? Hardens it. We have two opposites. And that's what happens with the parables. And it's based on what's going on in somebody's heart. Because nobody knows the heart of man except for God. See, we're all sitting here and most of you have smiles. Some I can't tell. But you know, you could have the biggest smile. You could be looking so good and so happy and so excited about life. And inside you are a wreck. Because it's happened to all of us. And there are others, they don't look like they have anything together. Don't poke your neighbor. <laughs> and yet, they are, they are trusting God. You know, there's a man that came to Jesus, and the disciples were like, no, don't deal with him. And he said, he is close to the kingdom of God. But they couldn't recognize it. And so, what, what makes the difference The multitude, Jesus, Jesus quotes a scripture from Isaiah chapter 9, and we're just going to look at a portion of it in verse 15. He replied to them, and he said, it has been given, sorry, go to verse 15, please. Thank you. The people, they stick their, this is talking about the, the prophecy by Isaiah, but it was being fulfilled right in front of them that day. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they don't have to deal with me face to face. Now, you, you've seen kids do this or people that don't want to listen to you. Na, 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 na. Right? You just want to go... So they have to take their hands out of their ears and then you can talk to them. It's just ridiculous. It's infantile. It's immature. And it's robbing them from the very thing God has for them. Because he says they stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face. I'm telling you right now, we want to engage God face to face. 
Doesn't the Bible say man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the what? Mouth of God. Where do you find the mouth? In the face. Man, the face. We don't, you know, we as Christians so often don't look far enough to God. We don't look to his face. We look to his hands. What, what are you going to give me? Uh, instead of knowing him. But look what it goes on to say. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. This is what God wants to do. God always wants to do good in our lives. And sometimes we're like, no. Nope. Don't go there. And all of us do it. There are things in our lives we just want to stick a sign in that part of our life and say, stay off the grass. Don't go there. How ridiculous. How deceived. We don't want the God of life, the God of peace, the God of joy, the God of hope, the God of victory, don't go there. So you're going to have what you have and always have what you had? How deceived is that? We need, we don't need God just in this area and that area. We need God in every area and every aspect of our lives. Because if we're going to have the best life that we can possibly have, the only person it comes from is God. And if we shut him out, we shut out that life. And what we shut out, we can't receive. And what we can't receive, we can't give. So we effectively shut ourselves down from being a vessel that God flows through. And I'm telling you, in these days... God is looking to the church, to every one of us, to be a vessel that he can use to reveal his glory in the earth. And we know how that happens. The Bible says Christ in us is the hope of glory. But he said, this is what they're like. They're there going, na, 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 na. And of course they're not going to get anything because what is God going to force on them? Not a thing. Just like he'll never force anything on us. And so we're going to look like a little spoiled brat. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And we're going to look so foolish because we're keeping our deliverer, our redeemer, our healer, out of an area that only he can do what's needed. And so that's the way they were, but the disciples weren't. They were, uh, help us understand this. I, I, I heard what you said, but I need more insight. Help me understand. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Please don't leave it at that. Man, they were willing to get in Jesus' face and say, tell us about that 
that last parable you told all of them, the one about the wheat and the tares. You know what? Jesus spoke that to all of them. The disciples were there, but that was for the masses. And then he began to teach them. And we started in on this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, where he teaches them a parable about the kingdom. And it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Okay, what about the deep hidden meanings of this? This is a parable. It's a very relatable story about something spiritual or heavenly related in a natural way. You know, there are all sorts of people that, that are so much smarter than me that have so many ideas of how this is to be interpreted. And, and I'm going to tell you, we're not going there. Because I am not deep. I'm simple. Because I believe that the simplicity is what God has for us to be able to not disengage people that aren't real deep. And you know, it just causes me great hurt when people try to show how deeply spiritual they are. Because no matter how deep you are, you'll never be as deep as God. And instead of making it more difficult and more complex, make it as simple as possible so people can grab it and go. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So we get from this, the kingdom of heaven is priceless. And we talked last week about treasures and that we all have them. Every one of us has treasures. But this is the treasure of all treasures and has to be for our lives to be what God has for them to be. And if we have a treasure that's more important than the kingdom of God, we're going to miss out on what God has for us, to us, and through us. And so the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. Now it says it was hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, again, there are things that we can, we can kind of hone in on and miss the mark. You know, I'm really troubled by this. The, the guy was unethical. You know, he found a treasure. Obviously, it wasn't his field. And now he's going to go buy it from somebody that doesn't know what they have so he can have it. We're not going to deal with that. Because that's a side issue. But I will tell you this. In the time that this was written and the people Jesus was, was speaking to, this was common. This was the way it worked. We today are like, I don't think I'd ever trust that guy. That guy is just, he's got no morals, no scruples. He's, he's a mess. Well, I think we can all relate. Oh, I know it's tough to be honest about ourselves. But there are times we put everybody else at risk so that we can have what we want. But it was well known that in those days, because of the course of time and what happened, there were, there were armies that would come in and just take people away, like what's happening in Israel. 
It happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. They ripped them out of their family and their country. And whole families that would happen to, and their place would be just abandoned. And, and, and they weren't able to go to the credit union or their local bank and put something in a lockbox for safekeeping. So what they did was they buried it. They buried their treasures where they knew they were and nobody else did. And this man is coming along and it says he found this treasure. Now this again is important to understand what it's saying. He found it. Did he just trip over it? Did rain come and, and wash some things away so that it exposed it? We don't know. And that's not important. But the word found is important. Because here's what it means. It means to see. Right? That makes sense. I found it. Oh, there it is. To perceive it. But this is the best. To recognize it. To recognize it. This gives us an indication and an understanding. It implies the fact that this was something that had been there for a long time, and probably a lot of people, even this guy, had walked by numerous times, and all of a sudden he recognizes the value and the worth of it. You know, we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to recognize in a way we couldn't hear the value of the kingdom of God the value of the Word of God, the value of the Spirit of God, the value of the body of Christ, the value of aligning ourselves and obeying the Word of God. Because we just, we don't completely recognize. We've got an idea, it's important, but we don't recognize it as the most important thing in our lives. And because we don't have time for the word, we don't have time to worship and praise God, we don't have time to connect in the body of Christ, we don't have time for the kingdom things, we realize it's not where it's supposed to be. But we're okay with that because we've got some other things that are more important. See, there are things in the Word of God that would actually shock us and anger us, cause us to be irate because we think God is asking too much. But understand this, God never asks anything from any of us because he's trying to get something from us. God doesn't need anything from us. God is not trying to get from you, not trying to get from me. He's trying to get to us what we don't have and we don't realize we can have. That far exceeds anything that we could ever imagine or comprehend. I truly believe, and I have no, nothing to base this on, but it's just something I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to be in shock for a while. We're going to be absolutely in shock because it's going to be better than we ever, 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 ever 
had any idea or understanding of, and, and we're going to have to adjust to it. And you know how we do with change, don't you? So he, he, he recognized it. And then what he did was, he does something amazing. I know he hides it because he wants it, but it became so valuable to him. He goes and, and what's he do? He sells. So he has a yard sale, garage sale, right? Craigslist. He goes and sells what? What? Come on. He goes and sells everything. How many of you know it wasn't just he, he put this stuff out by the path by his house and people just took it? He's selling this stuff because he doesn't know how much this field is going to cost him. But he has a determination that there's nothing in his possession that is an e equal in value to what he deems as a treasure. So what do you think he had? Come on, think. Okay, a house. He's got a house. Animals. Furniture. Clothes. Tesla. That's what I heard. I don't know. I guess in your version, he had a Tesla. <laughs> but he had all this stuff. Now, what does that stuff represent? His life. His treasures. Because he's not going to keep something he doesn't treasure. Unless he's a hoarder. And so now he does something that is unthinkable to all of us in this room. If you're really honest, would you get rid of everything to go get something that you see as the most valuable treasure of all? I'll be careful. You be very careful with your answer today. Because if we say yes, then why aren't we doing it? If we say no, then why wouldn't we do it? Because we don't see it as the most priceless treasure of all. And so he's taking now all his treasures, his life has accumulated, and saying, you know what? My life is not going to be what it could be and should be with these treasures. I'm giving all this up for this treasure. And what's this about? What's the treasure? The kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching. John the Baptist preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. This treasure is available to every human being every day. But how many other treasures are we putting in front of this treasure?
Now, please understand, I know this is uncomfortable. But if we are going to be what God has for us to be in the days we're living in, because you and I are living in days that the people of the Bible only hope to live in. The days where the return of the Lord is imminent. And we have this privilege. To whom much is given, much is what? Required. And, and this is not comfortable. This isn't anything our flesh wants to hear because it means we've got to maybe change some things. And I'm not telling you you have to go out and sell everything you have. But I am telling you this because the Word of God is telling us this, that there can't be anything in our lives that is more valuable than God and His kingdom. And if it is, it is what's pulling us away. Now, I will tell you, honestly, you would be shocked, outraged to read what Jesus said to his disciples. And we'll get to it. I just have to help us get acclimated before we see this stuff and it just blows us out of the water. But this is the kingdom of God. It's the priceless treasure. There's nothing in comparison that's worth it. And yet we live in a world that we have all sorts of things every day presented to us as you can't live without it. The deception has been going on for a long time. And we bought into it. You know, just like I told you last week, I was in the mall and I walked up and I saw this massive line and it was a line for, in both directions, down both sides of the mall, people waiting to get in one store because they had a treasure that they had to have because if they didn't have it, their life wouldn't be worth living. Oh. No, I can say that. Because that's what their life was being used for. That's what their time was being used for. That's what their finances were being used for. That's what their focus was on. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that, was, that was too honest. But I think it, it pretty much hits home with reality. Because if they hadn't gotten a phone that had just come out, how do you think they would have gone from that place? My life is over. Don't talk to me. I have to use this old phone. Really? Some of us can't even use the phones we have. <laughs> I know. Speak for yourself, Pastor. <laughs> treasures, treasures, treasures. And even, even in the scripture, a little farther in, 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 in Matthew chapter 6, we'll, we'll go there because we were in there for a while uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer. But in Matthew chapter 6, we, we see in verse 33 a very familiar portion of scripture where it says, it, in the New King James, it says, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to us. And so there's, a, there's an order in that. Seek first. What can come before it? Nothing. See, I'm not, I'm not teaching heresy here. I'm teaching truth. Because if we'll know the truth and live the truth, the truth will make us free and keep us free. And right now, we as a body, the body of Christ in America is in a lot of bondage. A few weeks ago, we heard about idols when Frank taught. We have a multitude of idols that have, we've allowed to get ahead of the importance and the value of God. Technology, acquisition, we want to acquire things. Maybe, maybe it's Nike shoes, sports, whether it's on TV or playing. Oh, I'm making friends like crazy this morning. <laughs> Ushers, I need an escort to the car today. <laughs> But it, it doesn't matter. Anything that comes before God and his kingdom is an idol. And it's going to rob us because who's behind idols? American Idol. Oh, no. Um, Satan. Right? And what does he come to do? What's his job description? Steal, kill, and destroy. The moment we put an idol in front of God, that's what's happening in our lives. We don't see it at the moment, but it is taking effect. It's starting to taint and poison our lives. It's starting to rob from us. It's starting to kill things in our life. One of them being how we relate to God. Thank God he can resurrect. Amen? And destroy. I don't need any more destruction. I don't need to help the enemy destroy my life by the choices I make. But I've got to be wise enough to recognize that all the things that he brings look good, sound good, seem to make sense, and man, they feel good. That's right, Bob, for a season. Because sin has pleasure for a season. But we have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves and begin to look at things in the world that we live in, not through our natural understanding that we learn from growing up in this world, because we have been indoctrinated by the world in the world. And it's time to live in the kingdom of God in the world. Guided and governed by God and by Holy Spirit and by his word, and then when the world sees us, they're going to know we're Christians, not because we tell them, but that they can't deny by the way our lives are lived, by the values we have, by the love that we have, by the devotion we have to God, and, and they're gonna, not going to have an answer. They may not like us, but they can't do anything. So in the ERV translation, it says this. What you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what he wants you to do. Remember those people that stuck their fingers in their ears, closed their eyes because they didn't want to see Jesus face to face? 
And what did he want to do for them? He wanted to heal them. When this looks like God's asking for too much, it's just too extreme. Understand, remember, God's not asking to get something from you. God doesn't need anything from us. But God loves us so much, he wants to get everything he has to us. And the only way that happens is his, his kingdom begins to govern and guide us. Because what you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what he wants you to do. Then he will give you all these other things you need. When we really are living in the kingdom of God in this world, by the word of God and the spirit of God, there's nothing that can stop what God wants to do in your life and through your life. And in that moment, you become that light that Jesus said we're supposed to be in the earth and the salt. All of a sudden, people see ha things happening in our lives that never happened before and never happened in anybody's life that they've seen before. And God's doing it because you're letting God have his way. And when God has his way, life abounds. Hope abounds, peace abounds, joy abounds, health abounds. Was Jesus ever sick? You know what? They could not have crucified him unless he allowed it. He says, no one takes my life except I lay it down. Why? Why couldn't all the power of hell, all the armies of the world, not put him on the cross? Because the power of God was being allowed to fill him and flood him. The rule of the Father, guiding and governing, the Spirit of God filling him. We sang this morning, it's a great song, Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between singing and living. We welcome you in this place. So when we leave, is he gone? He's wherever you are. The Bible tells us the kingdom of God is at hand wherever you go. But whether we're letting the kingdom have the kingdom's way or another way is a choice we make with every decision. That's why we have to do this with real intention, really, really looking at who's getting their way here. Am I getting my way or am I letting God have his way? Is God having his way or is somebody else having their way? Because what we need is we need God to have his way. Because that's what heaven is. Heaven is where God has his way every day in everything. And in the Lord's Prayer, your will, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This is just going along with what we've already learned. It's just a different way to view it. So we're going to continue to open this up. We're going to look at this and begin to understand. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I will tell you this, it's going to be uncomfortable. But how many of you know, if you want to get in shape, you're going to be uncomfortable? Right? 
If, if, if you want to be a success in anything, you're going to get to the place where you're uncomfortable. And yet that has been an idol in America for a long, long time. We just want to be more comfortable. Don't bother me. Don't make me uncomfortable. And you know, people leave churches because of that. I'm believing that you want what God wants more than you want what you want. I'm counting on that. But no matter what the choice, we're going to continue to do what God wants here. Like every head bowed and every eye closed. It's a lot to take in this morning. I would encourage you to go and listen to the message again. And take time. Take time to sit with God. Sit with the Spirit of God. Let Him search you. Let Him help you see your life that you're unaware of. Because the Bible says no one knows the heart of man except for God. I don't know my own heart, but I need God to help me see. And I need others. If you're here today and, and you've never turned to trust in Christ to govern you and guide you, to be your Lord and Master, and that's where it begins because he's not going to come in and force you with anything. Even after he becomes master and savior and Lord of your life, the only way he continues to be that in our life as master and Lord is we choose to let him lead. But if you've never turned to Christ recognizing, just like the man recognized, he found, he recognized the treasure, recognized Jesus as the treasure that you need, we all need, more than anything else in our life, and then turn to him and repent. That's turning from where we've been to turning and allowing him to have his way and receive him as Lord and Savior, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. So let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who willingly came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, went to hell and the grave, and was raised glorious and victorious, paying the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I come to you as one in need of a Savior. I recognize you are the Messiah. And I repent and receive you as my Lord and Master. Govern me, guide me, guard me from this day forward. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, please, please let somebody know before you leave. Uh, we'll, we'll celebrate with you this new life. Uh, if you prayed online, uh, go to the website reslifeny.org and scroll down to where the prayer requests are. 
uh, let us know you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us contact information. Would you stand? I've got one more thing I need to share with you before you leave. You know, we're a family here. Uh, Good-looking family. <laughs> but a family is a group that are connected no matter what. Family is family. And this is an eternal family. It's not just blood. It's by the blood of Jesus, and it goes on beyond this life. But while we're in this life, as any family should, we should be there to, to support and to uphold and to encourage and, and to help. And uh, I need you not only to be praying for Israel, for Rabbi Stuart and Chantal and their family in Israel, and, but I need you to be praying for Wendy Bird. Now, Wendy Bird and Rich Bird and Shelby have been here for a long time. And she had an accident where she fell, and she has got to get some surgery this Wednesday. Now, we're praying for her health, her healing, for God to guide the doctors, because the doctors are just instruments in his hands, because he is Jehovah Rapha, Wendy's healer. And we're believing for a complete work. We're believing for pain to go, for health and strength to come, and for peace. Peace for Wendy, peace for Rich, peace for all the family members. So listen, pray the promise, not the problem. Amen? And expect to hear a great report when Wendy comes back and shows us and tells us. Amen? Well, let me pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every one of your children. Father, if there's somebody here in need of healing, we thank you that you, you don't have to wait to be in, do what you want to do. We just have to acknowledge you can do it and want you to do it. So, Father, we thank you for your healing for each and every one of your children. We thank you, Father, for going ahead of us and preparing the way and being our rear guard. We thank you, Father, that you open doors that no man will close. We thank you, Father, for the favor you've given us with you and all men. And we thank you, Father, for the victory over hell, death, and the grave, that we can tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, that nothing by any means would harm us. That, Father, because we are in your kingdom and part of your kingdom, we're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. And your word says we're blessed going out and coming in. And we're blessed in everything we set our hands to. So, Father, let the blessings overflow us so that we, in turn, can be the blessing you have for us to be to those around us that you love. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great week.